Open to 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, let's pray and let's dig into the Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, as we go to your Word right now, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, again, I thank you for everyone who's here, none by chance, all by divine appointment. May you minister to every heart. I pray if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, for those of us who do know you, may we grow in our relationship with you. To know you better is to love you more. May we know you better. Minister to every heart, we pray. May man decrease that your spirit would increase. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said... So if you've been coming through 1 Peter, you're aware of this, but again, we have review for a reason. But this letter was written by the Apostle Peter to the early church during a time when they were going through great persecution, great trials, and great difficulty. So it was written to all the churches in the early church. They had been scattered, many of them running for their lives, because it was a time when Christians were being taken captive, they were being persecuted. Uh, soon would be being fed to lions. And so this was a time when being a Christian was not something that could be taken lightly. And what was taking place is some of the people, because of the consequences they might face, were backing away from their faith. We're kind of maybe even going undercover a little bit. You know, I can love the Lord, but I don't have to stand up so loud for him. Well, Peter writes this to encourage them, and it's an encouragement to us. And we saw that early on, he said, look, whatever suffering you're going through, it is for but a little while. Whatever that trial is that you're facing right now, God is greater. And the reality is, even if that trial is something that is permanent in this life, that there's an eternity coming and praise God for that. Amen? And so much of the focus of this letter is to focus on that which is eternal instead of that which is temporary and worldly. And so he's been encouraging them throughout it. So this letter whose central theme is to encourage those in turbulent times of the day who are suffering for God's glory and for the sake of the gospel. Chapter four ended telling them not to be ashamed, to glorify God in the face of persecution and suffering for, for gospel's sake. We said this before, no suffering is wasted. And everybody who's mightily in scripture suffered greatly. So suffering is a part of molding us more into the image of our Savior. And again, a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. He challenged them to walk in obedience to the gospel of God, to commit their souls to the Lord by doing uh, and honoring their faithful creator. As we come to this final chapter, we receive an exhortation of how the body of Christ should function. Here's what's happened. Again, they've been spread out. Many of them have had to be housed by other Christians. They're running for their lives. They've left their possessions behind. It'll be so easy in a difficult time to just maybe stop having church for a while. Sound familiar? We're not doing that. Amen. So the exhortation here is, I know you're going through difficulty, but we don't stop having church. We don't stop being Christians. We don't stop sharing the gospel. We don't stop uh, you know, being hospitable and welcoming people into our homes. He said, look, in the midst of it all, the church should continue and be faithful. So this letter again was sent out to all those early Christians throughout the Roman Empire. And again, we know that one of the things that had taken place is Caesar Nero, who was just a madman, who hated Christians. He would take Christians and, and you know, after, literally set, cover them in pitch and set them on fire and use them to light his, his uh, garden and would ride through the garden horseback with no clothes on. You thought we had a tough leader. So the reality is that this is a guy that's so godless and so far away from the Lord that most people believe that he's the one that set the empire on fire. And then he blamed it on the Christians 
so the Christians could be persecuted. So he attacked, attached guilt to them, and again, deaths were made public sport. Christians fed to lions and other wild beasts, wrapped in hides of wild beasts and torn into pieces by dogs, nailed to crosses, set on fire, and again, covered in pitch. So all of that's taking place, and so it's, you know, we understand the exhortation in the midst of that is, I get it, I know what you're facing, but don't allow it to cause you to hide your faith. Don't allow it to cause you to go undercover. Don't allow it to cause you to pull away. And the only way you can stand strong in the midst of that is to have an eternal focus. Amen? Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, it says in Colossians 3.2. You know, it was a time was at hand, and Peter's exhortation to glorify God in the face of persecution Again, takes a whole new light because Peter himself, according to Christian tradition, would later be crucified upside down. And it's during times of great persecution we find out what really matters. You find out what really matters in life when some of the temporal things of this life are taken away or when things, again, are going through times of difficulty that you may have never seen before. So Peter's giving this clear exhortation. He's exhorting them. He's going to begin by encouraging the pastors, the elders, those in positions of authority on the example that they should set. Then he's going to talk to the people who are younger in the faith, those who, again, are newer in their walk with the Lord or you know, either younger spiritually or younger in age. And then he's going to finish with an exhortation that we need to be people of prayer. Amen? We need to pray. So if you have your outline, grab it. Let's go through it quickly, and then we'll dig into the text. So I tell the message, remaining faithful to God's calling in times of suffering. And when we're suffering, sometimes we can get mad at God. Sometimes we can be, grow distant from the Lord. We can run from him, and, from him instead of running to Him. I want to tell you that when you do any of those things, all you're doing is making it even worse. Amen? Because we need to trust in the character of God. We need to trust in the grace of God. We need to trust in the mercy of God. He is a faithful God. So he's going to exhort them as he closes out this letter to the first century church who's dealing with such suffering. And it begins by talking about the pastor's calling. Now, why do we share that most of the people in the room are not pastors? This is the standard that you should hold pastors to. And this is the standard really for those of us who serve in ministry. We should be a Christ-like example. First, to be faithful shepherds. The pastor's priority is to feed the sheep, not to water down the message, not to entertain you, not to uh, have a political rally, but to teach the whole counsel of God, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by word of God. So we teach the whole counsel of God. The pastor's motivation should be love for the Lord and love for people. There's a lot of pastors who are people that are in ministry because they want notoriety or they're pursuing fame or wealth or whatever it may be. If you, have a, if you know of a pastor like that or you get involved with a church like that, run from the building like it's on fire. Because it's not about men, it's about the Lord. Amen? Amen. And, all, and we're all just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. And then finally, the pastor's attitude should be the heart of a humble servant. This is true for all of us who serve in ministry. We should be humble. We should be an example to other believers around us. God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. We'll see that in, tonight's, in this morning's text. And as humble servants, we're called to love and serve and protect those that Jesus died for. By the way, the sheep belong to the Lord, not to the pastor. Amen? And pastor does, isn't, the, isn't the people that everyone look up to in a sense, right? Where the pastor is the under rower. He's the, the chief servant in the building, and that's what he should always be. 
So there's this, this first portion of the text, he's exhorting the pastors, this is what your calling is. I know that people are being fed to lions. I know there's a bigger target on your back. Do not, do not melt away. Do not back down. Remain faithful, but remain humble in the midst of it. Then he's going to talk about the young, those younger in the faith. And he's going to say to submit to those in authority over you. There's a word people love, submit. Everybody just loves to submit, don't they? But he is encouraging them to look to people who are are more spiritually mature, or people who've been placed in positions of authority in your life, your parents, your boss at work, your teacher at school. You submit to their authority, okay? You, you allow God to use them to speak into your life. And so there was an encouragement to submit. Also to be clothed with humility. You know, sometimes young people, the Bible says a young man's pride is in his strength. And, you know, a lot of times young people get, get, get very prideful. Old people can too. But a lot of times there's that pride that comes in, in, in youth, right? And the exhortation here is to be clothed in humility, to put away our agenda to do God's will. And then finally, to be watchful for the enemy. The Bible tells us that Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We'll see that this morning. He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. He hates you. He wants to destroy your family. He wants your children to walk away from the Lord. He wants to break up your marriage. He wants to render you ineffective for the kingdom of God. I don't hate a lot of things. I hate Satan. Hate him. God hates him. Amen? So, He's like a rabid dog who wants to destroy you all. He's a roaring lion. He makes a lot of noise. But we need to be reminded that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we don't need to address Satan or worry about it. Just let God take care of him. But when he tempts you, you need to be mindful of it. You need to be watchful for this is the enemy at work. Amen. Yeah, be transparent. My wife and I, if we're having to just, boy, that's the enemy right there, isn't it? Let's stop that, amen? Let's recognize the enemy for what he wants to do. And let's say, no, we're not, we're not going to honor, we're not going to do that. We're not going to be caught up in that. And by the way, how did Jesus respond to temptation in the Bible? What did he do? He responded with what? The Word of God. And so the only way we can respond with the Word of God, we got to know what the Word of God says. If we don't read it, if we don't open it, if we don't read it, we can't obey it, and we can't respond to the enemy with it. And then finally, prayer for strength to respond to God's calling in the midst of our suffering. At the very end, he's going to encourage them. And guys, we can't do this. I want to encourage you with this. If your walk is not where it should be, pray more. And how many of us need to pray more? My hand's up. Pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. And I think we lose sight of what prayer is. If Almighty God came up here and was standing, first of all, we'd all drop dead in His presence, but let's just give it. But if we were standing here, and we could come up and talk to Him, how long would the line be? How long would you be willing to wait? And when it was your turn, how long would you stand here? But that's what prayer is, isn't it? The veil's been torn. We can enter into the Holy of Holies. We can speak to Almighty God. And the sad thing is, we get so caught up and so distracted that we may have days or even weeks to go by where we don't spend time in God's presence. And I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit rocket over your Wheaties in the morning. That's not prayer. You know what I'm talking about. Dear Lord, thank you for this food in Jesus' name. Amen. That's not a prayer life. Amen. It's coming before Him and just sharing your heart humbly before the creator of the universe. Isn't it good that we can enter into his presence? And then finally, he's going to end the letter with some greetings, and uh, Lord willing, we'll get through all that. So let's begin there in verse 1, looking at remaining faithful to God's calling in times of suffering. 
First, we're going to look at the pastor's calling. And again, I believe this is for every Christian. There's, this should be a heart for us as well. But this is the minimum requirement for someone who serves in ministry. The Bible says, let not many of you be teachers, because there's a higher level of accountability that comes with it. And there should be. Amen? And we should hold them, and you should hold me and Pastor Joshua and, all, and Pastor Doug and Pastor Tim and all the other pastors here and those who serve in ministry should be held to this level of accountability. He says there, the elders who are among you, I exhort. I love that word exhort. Exhortation is a call to action. It's, it's where you say something to somebody to get them to do something in return. People have told me I have a gift of exhortation, right? It's calling somebody. It's not just imparting information, but it's imparting information with a design to, to bring about a result. And so he's going to exhort the pastors first. Elder in the Bible, elder, pastor, and bishop all speak of the same guy. We've covered this. You've been here for a while. So the elder, presbyteros in Greek, which is where you get the word for Presbyterian church, it describes the man. What is he? He's a spiritually mature man. So elder means he's a spiritually mature man. Then the word bishop, where we get the word episkopos, where you get the Episcopal church, uh, describes what the man does. He oversees the body of Christ. So the, he's a spiritually mature man who's in a position of oversight over God's people. And then finally, pastor, poema in Greek, describes the method. He feeds the flock. He serves the flock. He, he acts as the under shepherd to the good shepherd. What does a shepherd do? He protects the sheep and feeds the sheep. He makes sure the wolves don't get in to kill them, and he makes sure they don't starve. How does he do that? He makes sure they, they're brought to, to where the good grass is, right? Bringing them to where the word is in this case, right? And so here he's exhorting these elders. Okay, look, you guys are in leadership, and there's a time of suffering right now, and time being a Christian is very difficult, and people are losing their lives for the name of Christ. So how should you respond? Shut down the church and go in a cave and wait till they get the all clear from the government. That's not what the Bible says. <laughs> Amen? Don't hide. Don't pull back. Don't die down. Stand up for the truth of God's word. But he's going to exhort them. And again, elders are called by God to lead spiritually, and they need to be exhorted, especially in times of trials and persecution. You can lose sight of your true calling when you begin to focus on your circumstances. This is true for all of us. If we start focusing on our circumstances, we can lose sight of what we're really called to do. What did God create you to do? First of all, to serve him, to worship him, to have a relationship with him. But on top of that, he's given you gifts. And are you being faithful to do the things that God has called you to do? And again, our circumstances can take our eyes off the Lord. The fear of man impacts faith in God. If we fear men, our faith will, will waver. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. But we do we all have moments of fear? What's the answer? Yes. We do. So when we start to fear, we need to recognize that God is in control and that God is greater than our fear. And we don't have to walk around petrified because we can trust in the sovereignty of God. Guys, we serve a great God, amen? amen. He is greater than we will ever be able to comprehend. And he loves you so much, he sent his son to die because he didn't want to live without you. That's the God that we serve. And he's a faithful God. But what happens with the fear of men? It causes many pastors to water down the message out of fear of losing the crowd. 
I've said this before, please don't take this wrong. You guys know I love every one of you. Even if it's your first time here today, I love you already because I prayed for everybody who'd be here today. God gives me a love for you. But let me just tell you this. I'm not really all, at, I'm not all that worried about what you think about me because I have to worry about what God thinks about me. Amen. Does that make sense? Because if I'm worried about you, then I'm going I'm to tailor, tailor the message to make sure you don't get your feelings hurt. If the word of God steps on your feet, you're standing in the wrong place. Amen? <laughs> That's true for me also. For every hour you get on Sunday, I get 25 to 30 hours during the week. So don't worry, I get it first and I deserve it, amen? But we need to be encouraged and we need to be strengthened. What happens sometimes to pastors when they're worried about the crowd, then they water down the message because they're afraid they're gonna offend people. But the Bible tells us the cross of Christ is the stone of offense, amen? amen. That's why people wanna tear down every cross on the side of the road. Sometimes they'll go into hiding, well, Peter was an apostle, as he describes himself at the beginning of this letter, and here he focuses on the fact, he's going to tell them, look what he says, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So he describes himself as a fellow elder, that he too is someone who's been put into a position of spiritual authority. Now, please, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but you're going to get offended if this is what you believe. Peter was not the first pope. Does he say, Peter the most holy, magnanimous father, potentate. Does he say that? He says fellow elder. Okay. Now again, all this stuff is man-made. It's created by men. It's dogma added to the simplicity of the cross. We can get a lot of rituals that will add to the cross of Calvary. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Now there will be good works. There will be a transformed life, but we do not add to the cross of Calvary. Amen. He said, it is finished on the cross. It's paid in full. And we should be encouraged and strengthened by that. So Peter just says, look, I'm your fellow elder. I'm in this boat with you. Now, did Peter know what it was like to run away and hide when things got tough? Oh, yeah. He was the king of it. <laughs> Amen. Oh, you're one of his followers. Uh, uh, and he cussed and ran away and said, I, and it, was a, it, was a, it says a young girl. He ran away from a young girl. And he hid. And we're going to see God's restoration to that in tonight's, uh, this morning's text. This is what happens when you stay up late at night studying. You think it's night. It's daytime. But here's the reality that Peter knew what it was like to fail the Lord. But Peter also knew what it was like for God to restore him. And then he knew what it was like to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he knew what it was like to stand up in front of that, some of that same crowd that he had run from and preach the word of God with boldness and see 3,000 people get saved. So Peter understands that there, we've, uh, there's all, all of us have had times when we've shrunk away from an opportunity to share our faith. Is that not true? We've done it. We've had times where we've kept it to ourselves. We've had times where we've been fearful. And Peter's talking to these guys saying, look, I get it. I know what you're going through. I understand the, the consequences that could happen. I understand you could, be, you, know, you could be put to death if you make a stand for the Lord. But I'm encouraging you. I'm exhorting you. And by the way, I'm one of you. That's what he's saying. I'm a fellow, he's an apostle, but he's also a fellow elder. He can relate. He knows by experience what all the other elders are going through. Peter's qualified to speak as a fellow elder. And note, through Peter was clearly the prominent disciple of the 12. He claims no special position. Only others have, Peter never proclaimed a special position. Only other men have done it for him and they were wrong. Amen. There's only one celebrity in Christianity. His name is Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. 
There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Peter, used mildly by God, sinner saved by grace. Mary, used mildly by God, sinner saved by grace. You can't get saved through Peter. You can't get saved through the saints. You can't get saved through Mary. You can't get saved through a church. It's Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen from the dead. Peter did not raise from the dead. Mary did not raise from the dead, and she wasn't assumed like people teach. It's not true. It's not in the Bible. What happened? Jesus and Christ alone. So don't take your eyes. Again, praise God for the saints. Amen? Amen. Praise God for Mary. Amen? Focuses on Jesus and him alone. Amen? Amen? He's the only one that can save us. He's the only one that's seated at the right hand of the Father. But Peter says, look, I'm a fellow elder. I'm one of you. And being an elder in those days, not a title people really wanted. If they're feeding Christians to lions and they start with the elders, who wants to be an elder? Really? A lot of them are like, yeah, dude, I, I, I want to be almost an elder. Can I, yeah, can I just be a little below that? Uh, you know, I, I've told people this, that, you know, Satan, by the way, Satan's not omnipresent. You know that, right? He's not everywhere at once. He's not on mission either. He doesn't know everything. He's a defeated foe. But he does know our weaknesses, and I don't believe he knows everybody's name. I don't think he's capable. But I think he knows the names of people being used mildly by God. And he's got target on, targets on their back. Amen? Now, again, our God is greater. It's nothing to be afraid of. But I hope he knows my name. I really do. I do. I, hope he, I have friends who go, I hope he almost knows my name, right? But, but really. But don't we want to live in such a way that we bring glory and honor to the name of Christ? Amen? And you want to see Satan shaking? Get on your knees and start praying. Amen? God is faithful. Now notice he says a witness to the sufferings of Christ. See, he's talking to people who are suffering. And he says, I was there when Christ suffered. I was there when he was being scourged. I was there when they drug him out and he'd been so battered. And that's when they said, you're one of his. And I ran away hiding. But I saw the suffering that Jesus went through. Well, we are Christians. And if Jesus suffered that we might have eternal life, who are we to say that we're beyond being, going through any suffering to follow him? Amen? And so that's the exhortation here is, look, I witnessed the suffering of Christ. And again, it has to go beyond as, as witnesses to, to the ability to minister to others. And the word witness there is the word martyr. I'm a martyr of Jesus Christ. Now, we, when we think of martyr, we think of somebody who died for him, and certainly that is the case. That's the ultimate witness, right? Being willing to lay down your life. But the word martyr there just means to be a witness. Uh, martyr means a witness who tells what he has seen and heard. One of the greatest things that you can do as a believer is share your testimony with somebody else. Because it's something that no one else can refute. What is your testimony? Here's who I was, and then I met Jesus, and here's who I am now. Amen? Amen. This is my life before I met him. Then he came into my life. He made me a new creation. He forgave my sin as far as the east is from the west. I'm born again. My name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I'm going to heaven. And now I walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And here, now look, we're not perfect we're all sinners saved by grace. Christians don't sin, aren't, aren't sinless, but we should sin less. Amen? And so this is my testimony. And this is something we all can share if you're born again. Here's who I was, and here's who I am. He says, also, not only a witness to his suffering, but also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Now, what is he talking about here? Anybody have an idea? What, when did he see Jesus in his glory? The Mount of Transfiguration, amen? He also saw him after he'd risen from the dead, amen? 
Remember, he went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. You know, Jesus had a fourfold ministry, the crowd, the 70, the 12, and the three. You know, the crowd, he spoke in parables. He had the 70 disciples who followed him, and some would come and go. He had the 12 that he invested in. One, one of them denied him, one of them betrayed him, and nine of them left when he was on the cross. Only John was there. So if you feel bad about not being very fruitful in the ministry you're in, join the club, amen? But he took Peter, James, and John with him up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And if you remember that, that, God, that Jesus revealed, saw him in his glorified state. And, and Moses and Elijah were there too. And what did Peter say? Let's build altars to all three of you. Peter had God tell him to shut up more than once from heaven. You know, paraphrase. Hey, Pete, no. Amen. He's putting Jesus on the same line with the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets all point to Jesus. Praise God for the law and the prophets, but he points to Jesus. Amen? Amen. So he had seen him. He had seen Jesus in his suffering. He saw him in, you know, when he was being, when he had been scourged. He saw him in his glory. Then he saw him after he rose from the dead. He walked with him. For 40 days, they spent time together. And then he saw Jesus ascending back into heaven. So Peter says, look, I've seen him suffering and I've seen him glorified. And he's letting them know, look, I know that you're gonna go through suffering, but here's the good news. At the end of the suffering is gonna be glorification and praise God for that. Amen? We're justified when we give our life to the Lord, just as if we've never sinned. We're being sanctified, being molded more into the image of our Savior until the day we are glorified. Now, we don't deserve to be glorified, but the Bible clearly tells us we will be because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Amen? So we are all works in progress. Regardless of what you think, none of you have arrived. <laughs> we, all have, we all have things that need, we, just, we all need to continue to grow. Amen? Okay, we're all works in progress. So he was a partaker of his glory. Again, he was, he was a witness firsthand to what the Lord had done. And again, I thank God. He was also, by the way, he was also in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus got arrested. And Peter wasn't walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit because he lopped off the dude's ear, remember? Yeah. And they, you know, by the way, you never see Peter catch any fish unless Jesus is there. And then his sword handling, not so much, because I think he's trying to behead the guy and he catches an ear, amen? So Peter, what, you know, before Pentecost, was kind of a mess. But at the same time, God was doing a work in him. And some of us are kind of a mess, and God's doing a work in us, amen? He's doing a work in us to conform us more. He loves Peter, and we're going to see that as we continue on through the text. Again, he had attempted to make Moses and Elijah as equals, but we know and then it says there in verse two, Shep, now he's exhorting them. So he's, look, look, I'm one of you. I've seen Jesus suffering. I've seen Jesus glorified. I've seen God's plan. I know his heart. And now I'm going to encourage you as one of you. How should you respond when there's suffering all around you? When your life might be taken from you for making a stand for the gospel? How should you respond? Here's the exhortation. He says, shepherd the flock of God which is among you. The, word, the Greek there for shepherd, it speaks of, of feeding, tending, and keeping. And again, the sheep is God's flock, not the pastor's. Amen? I, I, I get frustrated. I get where it's coming from. People say, well, my church. Well, it's not my church. It's his church. Amen? Or my sheep. They're not my sheep. They're his sheep. 
Amen? You don't want to be my sheep. You don't know part of that. You don't want to be any man's sheep. Amen? You want to be sheep of the Lord. Amen? Men will fail you drastically. But what are the characteristics of a shepherd? He wants to be where the sheep are. This is something that concerns me too in the church today. You will see pastors who have no relationship with their sheep. Churches in Santa Cruz got very large. We'd have people that wanted to come on staff and they will, yeah, I like ministry. I just don't like people. I'm like, dude, you just told me you want to be a shepherd and you hate sheep. That ain't going to work. Amen. And you know what you look for, you know, by the grace of God, we've, I've seen, you know, God does the work, but we've ordained people. And what do you look for first? Someone who wants to be with the people. Amen. Shepherds have to love sheep. Pastors need to love people. Amen? They're not celebrities who come out of the green room, speak, and then go get in their car and drive away without, you know, if you come here more than once, you're going to get a hug. Amen? Because that's what the body of Christ should be. This is a family reunion every time we have church. And we want to be ministering one to another. If the doors are open, he should be there. Amen? Again, not to score points, but it's where he wants to be. He's willing to lay down his life for the sheep. He's available. He's approachable. Never too tired or too busy to tend to the sheep. I don't care what time the phone rings, he answers it. He's available. Amen? He's available. Didn't have an unlisted phone number. I don't get that. I don't get it. Yeah, I pastor church. Anybody got your own? I have pastors just send me it and go, oh, here's my new phone number. Don't tell anybody. Only five people have it. I'm like, bro, you need... what's up with that, bro? I don't get it. Amen? Can you imagine having children and having an unlisted phone number? Your kids can't call you? I don't get that. I just don't understand it. And so the exhortation here is, look, be available. Is a shepherd hiding from the sheep? He's always there. They know his voice. When he calls them, they follow. It's a great example for us to follow. He's willing to lay down his life for the sheep. He's willing to love them enough to speak the truth. But along with a heart to serve, he must be faithful to feed the sheep, both the milk and the meat of God's word. Although he knew tough times were coming, Peter says, don't neglect your singular responsibility to feed the flock of God. Pastor's first calling is to feed the sheep. And Peter, no doubt, is remembering his three-part commission Jesus gave him in John 21. If you remember that Peter denied Jesus three times, we've talked about this, we've been going here any length of time, he denies the Lord three times. The third time, here's the rooster crow. He said, Lord, I will never deny you. And the third time he does. After Jesus rose from the dead, Peter's out fishing. I don't see him catching any fish again. But then Jesus calls to him from the shore. Peter jumps in the water, swims in to meet with Jesus. And there's a word that's only in the Bible twice. It's anthrokia, and it's a word for hot coal fire. Well, when he denied the Lord for the third time, he was standing at an anthrokia. It's the word that's there. He was warming himself at the anthrokia, at the hot fire. If you've ever smelled coal, you know, isn't it amazing how I can't remember why I went downstairs to the kitchen, but I can remember when I smell something now, I remember it from when I was a little kid. Amen. There's something there that brings that back. Well, it hadn't even been 40 days. And what happens is he comes to the shore and he's sitting with Jesus. And that's the second time that word is used, anthrokia. Here's Peter sitting at the feet of his Savior, and the smell comes back to mind. And the last time he smelled that he denied the Lord and said, and he cussed and said, I don't know him. And he denied the Lord three times. And what did the Lord do? Peter, do you love me? Tend my sheep. 
feed my lambs. Second time, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep, amen? Feed my lambs. And it's to tend my lambs. He says, feed my, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. So three times he asked Peter, do you love me? And three times Peter gets to say yes. Do you think there's any correlation between the fact that he denied him three times and now the Lord gives him three chances to now proclaim his love for the Lord? That's our God, amen? If you'll remember when, the, when Mary came to the tomb, he said, go tell my disciples and especially Peter that I have risen. Because he knew that Peter was, was weeping. Peter was destroyed by his failure. Our God's a God of love and grace and mercy, amen? Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And here I just love how the Lord takes this time to minister into Peter's heart. That same smell comes back, that same failure comes back, and then he gets three times to proclaim his love for the Lord. I love that. So here's Peter understanding that, that position of a shepherd, to shepherd the flock of God which is among you. So to shepherd them, again, teach them the word. How, do you show, how does a pastor show his love for the Lord? Feed the sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Tend to my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed the sheep. So the way that a pastor shows his love for God is to teach the whole counsel of God to the people of God. Amen. So teach the word. We don't need seven steps to financial freedom or three ways to overcome your anger or Beaver doesn't live anymore the series or the roller coaster ride of life or the Darth Vader series. Just teach the Bible. Amen. Amen. Whole counsel of God is encouraging them. In a time when churches and pastors are bombarded, I get this all the time. Here's, this, here's a sermon series that will double the size of your church. Here's the thing that you need to do to grow your small, and it's all these man-made, you know, and, you know, I have, I've had them call me. What are you teaching right now? The Bible. <laughs> and I'll be teaching that next week and next year until Jesus comes back, or I go to heaven. Amen? Well, I got a great series. I got a great series, too. It's called First Peter. We're in it right now. <laughs> Let's just teach the Bible. I don't give a lot of analogies, but I'm going to give you one because this just absolutely, I love this. About 12 years ago, one of my favorite Bible teachers is Sandy Adams. He pastors at Calvary Chapel in Georgia, Stone Mountain, Georgia. He shared this at the pastor's conference because there's that, there's that temptation to be drawn away to do something that will entertain people, to do a series that will, you know, be something that people will catch on to. She so tells the story of a woman who goes to buy a parrot. And she goes to buy this parrot and the man says, oh yeah, if you take that parrot, take good care of that parrot, that parrot will talk. And the woman was lonely, so she took the parrot home, and after about a week, he hadn't said anything. So she goes back to the pet store, and he says, oh, you know what? You need to get a mirror. If you get a mirror, the parrot will see itself, think there's another parrot, and the parrot will start talking. So she goes and gets a mirror. She puts the mirror in the cage, and a week later, still not talking, goes back and says, you know what? Get the parrot a swing. Parrots love swings. If he's swinging, he'll be happy, and a happy parrot is a talking parrot. So she buys a swing. She takes it back, puts the, you know, the... The swing in the, in the car, he's swinging on it, still not talking. Comes back and says, you know what? You need a ladder. <laughs> Parrots love ladders. He'll be crawling up and down that ladder, looking at himself in the mirror, jumping on that swing. He'll start talking. So finally, she comes back in the store about a month later, and the guy says to him, did the parrot ever start talking? Well, he did say something at the very end. And she goes, what did he say? They got any food down at that pet food store? <laughs> A lot of churches put up mirrors telling you how wonderful you are. 
you're so wonderful. Just look at yourself. You're amazing. Not so much. Can I get him into that? We're all sinners saved by grace. Some people have a ladder. It's a 12-step program. We've got to go up and down this program, and we'll earn something. You know, we've got to, got to do all these things to earn salvation. Or it's a swing, man. We've got rock and worship, man. We'll rock the house, right? Got any food down at that church? Amen. <laughs> You come in, you're told how wonderful you are. You got rock and worship. You got 12-step programs and no Bible. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen? Amen? We need to study it. Open it, read it, obey it, study it, live it. Amen? But not only does it say that he is a shepherd, he serves as overseer. And again, overseer is someone who watches over, manages, supervises, caring for the sheep of, a, of another. See, when you recognize the sheep don't belong to you, but you've been given care over them by someone else, and you're going to answer to him when he comes back. So the, shep- the, good she- the, you know, the good shepherd says, these are my sheep. I want you to watch them and take care of them. And then when I come back for them, you're going to be accountable for how you took care of them. And so that's what he's calling. He said, I'm an, he's an overseer, someone who is called to do that. But notice what it says here. I love this part. Not by compulsion, but willingly. Nobody should serve in ministry where you feel like it's a have to. Please, if you're doing something here and you feel like you have to do it, just stop doing it. Amen? Oh, is it my turn in the children's ministry? Oh, please, we don't want you down there. We want people who want to be there with the kids. Amen? And we want pastors who, this is a get to, not a have to. What did Paul say? Woe unto me if I don't preach the gospel. Amen? Like this is something that stirs him up. This is something that he cannot turn away from. Truly called ministry is not a have to. It's a want to. It's a get to. Responding to the call of God, not the arm twisting of men. Again, God's army is not paid missionaries. It's an all volunteer army. Amen? It's not people that are doing it for any other reason other than they're called. Notice it says there at the end of that verse, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Boy, if we applied that to people on Christian television, we'd wipe out 90% of it. There's some good stuff on Christian TV, but it's like I tell people, it's like going to Nordstrom's Rack, right? Garbage, 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 garbage. Oh, there's a nice shirt right here. Garbage, garbage, right? I mean, that's the same thing. You got to be careful. You got to watch what you're picking through, Amen. And anybody who tells you to deposit your seed into their ministry so you can get more stuff back, that guy needs to get saved. Amen? That's the, first of all, seed in the Bible is always the word of God. It's never money. He's not a holy Santa Claus in the sky. Amen? By the way, he's already given us everything we need. We don't need to manipulate God. We come humble and broken before him. Amen? Money should never be a motivation for serving in ministry. True calling is seen not by actions, but by the attitude and the motivation. And the truly called will do it even if they're never, ever paid, never, ever recognized. I used to use the term whistling when no one's watching. What I mean, you're just serving the Lord and happy to do it whether anybody ever notices or not. Amen? Because the only one we're doing it for ultimately is the Lord. And to Him alone be all the glory. One of the things I love about the Calvary Chapel model, most of you know I've been a Calvary Chapel pastor, it'll be 34 years this year. I was 15 years as a youth pastor, and it's been almost 20 as a senior pastor. But here's what happens when you plant a Calvary Chapel. This is what happens. I've done it twice. I've been part of four of them. and done it twice. They bring you up on Sunday. They pray for you. And the next week, you go out and you plant a church. And they send nothing with you. The Holy Spirit, that's plenty. Can I get an amen to that? And you know how you know if you're called? People start coming. Amen? And if they do, it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with the Lord. It's in spite of you, not because of you. Amen? 
But when you're called to do it, guess what that means? You're gonna be working a full-time job. It means you're gonna be studying late into the evening. It's, it means you're gonna be available to be called 24 hours a day. And you're not gonna view any of it as a bother or a burden, but a get to and a joy and a blessing. And you can't believe you get to do it, amen? Almost all of you, when you call me, you always start off with an, with an apology. Sorry, Pastor Dave, to call you. Don't do that anymore. I'm glad you called, amen? I'm here to serve you. So call me, it's okay. I'm here to minister to you guys and so are the rest of our pastors here. So if you're called, where God guides, God provides. And it's gonna, it's gonna require sacrifice. And I love church planting. Man, I love church planting, I love it. You know why? You go into a city where there's nothing in that place and then all of a sudden God does something and God gets all the glory and you get to watch God work from the front row, amen? We mentioned that we just started paying the rent on a church plant in Brazil. And I'm excited because already that church is growing and there's already been people saved there and God's doing a work in that church and we want to be a part of that. Amen? Amen? So when you give here, you're helping the church plant down there. For years, again, I was always hesitant to go on staff. I, was, I still have a full-time job. Most of you know that. And I've always been hesitant to do it because I just never wanted to take the focus. I don't want it to be about anything other than just doing this as a get to, not a have to. And I'm not saying that people on staff are wrong. I'm not saying that. And it could even come a place where that happens here. But I just want it to be for the joy of the Lord. Amen? And I just love that. Two examples come to mind of, of, of Sunday school teachers. Again, they weren't pastors, but God was using them mightily. Mrs. Green was a Sunday school teacher at the First Baptist Church of Wilmington. From the late from the early 1950s until the 1980s. She's got to be in heaven now. And she led me to the Lord in 1968. That just means I'm old. But I was five years old in her Sunday school class. And when we went to her house to visit her, she had a picture of every kid in her kindergarten and first grade class. And she prayed for every one of them every single day. That's someone who's called. Amen. Then I heard the story of another one. My dad told me the story of a woman who taught the seven-year-old class at another church, and one of the kids in her class was having open-heart surgery, and they wouldn't allow her to go in to visit, and the parents were in the, in the hospital, and they heard something out on the fire escape, and they were up like eight floors. They thought it was a bird or something. They finally they opened the, door, the window, and there's a window there, and they see this woman on her knees praying for this little boy in the fire escape. And they said, what are you doing? She said, well, I know I can't come in. I wanted to get as close to him as I could so I could pray for him. Isn't that the somebody you want ministering to your kids? Amen? See, that's calling. That's a, somebody who doesn't for any other reason than they're called by God. They don't want any recognition. They're not doing it for money. They're doing it for the glory and honor of the Lord. Verse three. Then it says there, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being an example to the flock. Pastors shouldn't be on a power trip, lording their position over others. They must never use their position for personal gain. They're called to serve, not to grow rich, not to grow famous, not to cause other people to admire them. It says being examples to the flock. The sobering fact that pastors are examples to the flock, whether they intend to be or not. Churches often will take on the personality of their pastor. If their pastor is a, a, a rock star and the whole thing, then that's what the church is going to be about. And it's amazing to me, I've gone to churches where the pastor loves the Bible and the people love the Bible. I've been to churches where the pastor's got the heart of an evangelist, the people love to share their faith. Amen? So he's to be an example to the flock. He's not perfect. He's a sinner saved by grace. And so remember that, but he is to lead by example. Again, be the chief servant. 
Bible says if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the what? Servant, Servant of all. If we want to honor God, we need to serve people. Live a life consistent with the message you preach. Guys, we should be the same people, whether you're te- whatever you're teaching, Sunday school, whatever you're teaching, the men's study, the women's study. We should be the same person uh, behind when we're teaching. We should be that same person when we go home. Amen? And the contrast is a hypocrite, someone who says one thing and lives another life. And it's tragic when that happens. Then he says there in verse four, again, be an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory, which does not fade away. So his priority is to feed the sheep. His motivation is love for the Lord and love for the sheep. And his attitude should be the heart of a humble servant. And we should live every day in light of the fact that we will stand before almighty God one day. Again, my calling first and foremost is to the Lord. And if I live for the Lord, and if I faithfully serve the Lord, I'll be a blessing to other people. I tell this to my bosses every time I get a new boss. I tell this to every client. I I sell advertising for a living. Most of you know that, and and software. And so when I meet with a new client, I'll always tell them this, and I've never had anybody complain, which is totally God. But I'll say, look, I'm glad that I've been assigned to your account. I've been with the company for 34 years. And my job is to help make your business be successful. And by the grace of God, I've seen it over and over. I've seen businesses succeed, ones that fail. I know the difference. And my heart is to come here and serve you any way that I can. And by the way, I'm a born-again Christian. I love the Lord more than anything. And I want to tell you this, I will do my job as unto the Lord. And I will honor God in the way that I treat your business, which will be a blessing to you, a blessing to the company, and hopefully it'll help your business grow. And by the way, before we even get started, I'm going to be praying for you. So tell me some ways I can pray for you. And some people are like, dude, okay then. Wasn't expecting all that. But here's the reality is what happens is now, you know, I've bought 200 accounts and these guys are calling me for prayer daily. You know, you know a business stroke, can you pray for me? My wife and I are going through, can you, we do marriage counseling. Hey, my dad passed away. Can you come do his funeral? Guys, we want to be salt and light wherever we go. Amen? And here, this is how we all should be. Let's, let's live our lives in a way that bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? And we're, we're here to serve and to minister to other people. It's not about us. It's about him. And that can only happen, again, if we die to ourselves. It's not about temporal riches, but an eternal one that will never fade. He says, look, when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. Again, you've heard my, my seven-word 401k, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen. That should be our passion. That's what we should live in such a way that we bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus. Because when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last and nothing else is going to matter in the end. Amen? Be a godly worker. Be godly parents. Be a godly in your marriage. Honor the Lord. But Christ should be at the center of all that. And if he is, you'll have a better marriage. If he is, you'll, you'll, you'll be better parents. If he is, you'll be, better, you'll be better at work. You'll be a better neighbor. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. So point number one there, the pastor's calling. And again, feed the sheep, love the Lord, love the sheep, have the heart of a humble servant. Now he talks about those younger in the faith. He says, likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Anybody got teenagers? They all just do that immediately, right? Those of you who had teenagers, you thought when they were four, five, and six, that was the tough age, right? Not even close. It's coming. Can I get an amen? You put them on timeout, you sit them in a corner, it's easy, right? Teenagers, not so much. 
and when they get older. So younger, not just new, but newer, it means not just the word is neo, not just of age, but also spiritual maturity. It's, it's speaking of people who are younger in their faith. And if you're, if you're a newer Christian, it's good to look for people who can pour their life into you. Now, again, we don't worship them. We don't follow them. We follow the Lord. But that's how, you know, Bible says to make disciples, not converts. So how do we do that? We, we pour into people's lives. I ask this often, who are you discipling and who's discipling you right now? Who's ministering to you and who are you ministering to? Well, that's what a healthy church should look like. Amen? And he's telling them to submit to their elders. And again, certainly this would speak in a practical way of, of their parents, those who are older. But again, it speaks of spiritual maturity. Submission is mocked and rebellion is nurtured right now in our country. Can I get an amen to that? Submission is mocked. You talked about like you're old-fashioned. Give me old-fashioned all day because it's a God thing. Amen? We live in a time when rebellion is, again, all but nurtured. Notice he says here, not just the younger people, but he says, yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. So we're all called to have an action. We're submitting to people in our lives. We all have people in our lives that we should be submitting to right now. Each esteeming the other greater than themselves. And then he says, being clothed with humility. It is uh, the ability to put away my agenda to follow God's. That it's not about me. I don't need credit for anything. You know, you've got those people that you meet, and no matter what you tell them, they'll tell you something they did greater than what you just said. Amen? You're not even in talking, and oh yeah, well one time. And it's always those people that got to one-up you. I always thought, wouldn't it be great to be Neil Armstrong? <laughs> No matter what they said, eh, yeah, guess what? I walked on the moon. How about that? But the reality is you meet those people who just want to be the center of attention. That should never be us. Amen? Who's it, who should be the center of attention? Jesus. See, we don't need it. Well, I did, and by the way, there's, this happens a lot of times with younger believers. And other, they come and they introduce themselves and tell you all the wonderful things they're doing for God for 10 minutes. You know, you know, like, like God is so blessed that, that, we're on, that you're on his team. Well, boy, what would God do without you? Here's the reality. We're, we're blessed that we get to be on God's team, amen? He doesn't need us. We need him, amen? We need him. And he says there again, there's that clothed in humility. To be clothed, translate, it refers to a slave putting on an apron before serving, that's what it means. It, like, oh, it's my turn and I'm serving. They put an apron on and they serve. You know, that's what Jesus did when he washed the disciples' feet. He got down, he girded himself and he washed their feet. The heart of a servant. Jesus Christ is the great example. We're called to, come, to submit. And again, it's often met with defiance when we're called to do so. Submission is not a bad word. It's a godly one. Again, we need to be servants. That's what God's called us to be. Notice what he says at the end of that when he's talking about humility. Because humility, again, but look at verse 6. He says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He said, I love that picture because in, in the Bible we know that pride is the root of all sinful behavior. The Bible tells us that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. What got Lucifer thrown out of heaven? Pride. Why did Eve... Take the fruit from the serpent of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Pride. Oh, if, if, he knows if you eat that, you'll become just like him. Really? Pride. Anger. 
is rooted in pride. Why do you get angry? Because someone mistreated you. How dare they mistreat me? Well, if you're a servant, and here's the other thing. You know how you know you're a servant? How you respond when someone treats you like one? Amen? I heard about four O on that one. <laughs> Lust is rooted in pride. Envy is rooted in pride. We're to be humble. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Notice it says there, and I love this picture when it says, therefore, humble yourselves, verse six, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. In the Bible, the way up is down. It's getting on our knees. It's serving the Lord. It's, it's denying ourselves, taking up the cross and following him. We don't exhort ourselves. We don't extol ourselves. We don't brag about ourselves. By the way, don't you love when other people brag about themselves? Isn't that a joyous event? We hate it. We hate pride in other people. <laughs> but then we struggle with it ourselves. Amen? Amen? And we need to learn to die to that, to walk in humility, to humble yourselves. What's amazing to me, we humble ourselves, and then God will be the one who lifts us up in his perfect timing. And it's not something we should strive for. It's just a blessing that takes place if God chooses to do it. And he will do it one day when we get to heaven. Amen? And we need to have that eternal focus. He says, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Well, there's some good verses in this chapter, amen? All these verses we all quote, where was that again? They're right here in chapter five. Cast all your cares upon him before he cares for you. His yoke is easy. His burden is light, amen? Isn't it a blessing to know that whatever you're going through, you can just give it to the Lord. Lord, I can't do this. I need your help. I just, you're here. Cast your cares upon him because he loves you so much he'd rather die than live without you. Amen? He proved it on the cross of Calvary. He, he just wants to take that burden from you. Don't try to carry it around. Don't let the enemy put you under burden where you walk around overwhelmed all the time. Just give it all to the Lord. He's a faithful God. Amen? Those receiving this letter had incredible trials to deal with. They'd lost their homes. They're being persecuted. Bible says his yoke is easy, his burden is light. When you're yoked to him, he carries the burden for us. When you're connected to him, a yoke is where they would put two animals together. And in this case, he's got all the weight on his side and he just carries us along. They were all facing the potential of being put to death. And he's saying, look, cast your cares upon me. Put your cares upon the Lord. He cares for you. Verse eight, but then he's going to exhort them here. We're about done here. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. There's another verse that's in this chapter that we quote often. It could almost seem odd or out of place that the devil and his tactics are mentioned here, but when you're serving the Lord, the enemy has a target on your back. Don't walk around like a martyr, I'm going to target my back because I'm serving you. No, stop. God's greater, Amen. God is for us who can be against us. You plus God is a majority, amen. But you also need to be mindful that the enemy is going to do everything he can to destroy your marriage in the midst of ministry, to destroy your relationship with your kids, to disqualify. He'll do everything he can to render you ineffective. If Satan can't take you to hell with him, he wants to render you ineffective for the kingdom of God until you get to heaven. So that's what he does. I need to recognize Satan for who he is. He's a liar, Jesus is the truth. Satan is a liar. He's the father of lies. 
serves as a warning concerning how the devil operates. He has no conscience or sense of fairness. He comes strongest against you in times of greatest difficulty. When is the enemy going to attack you? When you're at your worst. When you're at the moment when you're struggling the most. He's going to come and tell you you're not even saved. How could you live like that? How could you talk like that? How could you think like that? You're not even saved. You're a mess. It'll attack you. can lead to anxiety and fear and depression. He comes after you full force. And he waits till you're at your weakest moment. But you know what? When the enemy comes, his resources are limited. And for me, whenever he comes against me or my family, the word that always comes to mind is charge. Let's step forward. God, God must want to do something great. Amen? And let's trust him. He loves to kick you when you're down. He roams about like a roaring lion, seeking when we may devour. If you've got the Holy Spirit living in you, he's toothless. Amen? He was the serpent in Genesis. Paul describes him in Corinthians as an angel of light. And in this morning's text, he's a roaring lion. Nothing secretive or subtle about this guy. Amen? God is greater. How do you have victory over the, the, the flesh and the devil? First of all, it's most, mostly our flesh. Amen? Sometimes it's the enemy. A lot of times it's just plain stinking us. Amen? That being said, the way we have victory is to set our mind on things above, to spend time in the presence of the Lord, to spend time in prayer, to seek after Him. One of the things you'll always do is make you question about, did God really say? You know, if God really loved you, you'd been married a long time ago. God really loved you, you'd have kids by now. If God really loved you, you'd have that promotion at work. If God really loved you, you know, because God loves you, he gives you what you need, not what you want. Amen? He'll give you what you need in his timing. He says to be sober, that means calm and collected in spirit, self-controlled, abstaining from wine, free of anxiety. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness. You've heard me say it before. We don't need spirits. We have the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? It encourages them not to... The context can also apply again to fear and anxiety. When you walk by faith, we recognize the roar of Satan and all his lies and spiritual attacks. And what, how did Jesus, again, I asked earlier, how did Jesus respond when he was tempted? What did he respond with? Word of God. How can you respond with the Word of God? You need to be reading it. Open it, read it, obey it. When you open the Word of God, when you know what it says, you know the counterfeit, you know the lie of the enemy, you recognize it for what it is, and you can, again, respond in kind it says, be vigilant, watchful, always awake and on the alert, never off guard. As the enemy is alert, never stops looking. He, you know, Satan never sleeps, but the Lord has us. Notice it says in verse nine, resist him, resist him. That means to stand against him. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. It says to be steadfast in the faith. Keep walking with Jesus. Keep trusting in him. Keep standing on the word of God. Satan has no answer for the word of God. None. So let's give him the word of God. Amen. Jesus answered again, it is written, it is written, it is written, and he's the word. How much more should we respond that way? Proverbs 18 says, the word of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are, they're safe. Run into the word of God and you will be safe. As Christians, we can have victory over the enemy's attacks as we stand on the word of God. We have the written word of God, the Bible, and the living word of God, Jesus Christ. Psalm 661 says, For you have been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. James chapter 4 says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Then it says here at the rest of that verse, and I'll get to the, the greetings as we 
close. It says, suffering experience uh, your brotherhood in the world. Resist them, be steadfast, that the same suffering also experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Here's the reality that, that we are going to go through suffering. It says in James, count all joy when you fall into various trials, not if. Amen? So we know these things are coming. So when they come, we shouldn't be shocked. Amen? And in the midst of them, I'm not saying they're easy. I'm not saying they don't hurt. And you know that I mean that with all my heart. If you're new here, my 28-year-old son went to heaven six months ago. And I'll tell you what, it's like ripping your heart out and stomping on it every day. I don't have anything else happen to me than that. But you know what? God is faithful. And though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. And because his son died, I'm going to see my son again. And I serve a faithful God. And I can't imagine doing this without him. Amen? So whatever you go through, you run to him, not from him. Hold on to him with both hands. Trust him. He's a faithful God. He's worthy to be worshiped. Know that that same thing you've seen your brothers experience suffering, you will too. Shouldn't act like your life's going to be free from suffering. Why would a loving God allow this? He must not care about you. That's the enemy. Then it says, as he's finishing up, but may the God of all grace, who called us into eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, and strengthen, and settle you. Notice this. He's the God of all grace, but then he lets them know, but you're going to suffer for a while. But after you suffer for a while, what will happen? It says there, you'll be perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So through the trials of life, again, no suffering is wasted. God is going to use this to mold you more to the image of our Savior, to help you grow spiritually. And then it says in 2 Corinthians that God comforts us in our suffering, that we may then comfort others with the comfort that we have received. And when I meet people now who have lost children, and it's happening all the time now, when I, when I let them know I've been where they are, it opens up an opportunity to, to speak into their lives and to minister to their hearts in a way I never could have before. Now, I'll be honest with you, I want no part of that ministry, but this is something God gave me, so we're going to be faithful to it. Amen? And whatever you've gone through, God will use it. What you saw as a failure, God can use to show the story of redemption, how God brought you out of it. Amen? It's an opportunity to minister to others and praise God for it. He's a God of all grace. And boy, I love that. Grace to save, grace to assure us the eternity in heaven, but also the grace to build our godly character now. And then he says, to him be all the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. As believers, we should be crying out to the Lord. We should spend time in prayer. We should seek his face. We should wake up every morning saying, Lord, I need your help today. I can't do this without you. Fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. Bring me divine appointments so you may be glorified. And then he finishes off by saying farewell to his friends. It says, by Silvanius, our, our faithful brother, he's the one who uh, he delivers the message through. And, and then he says, so he's bringing the message to you. And he says, uh, my faithful brother, as I consider him, I've written, in you, written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is a true grace of God in which we stand. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you. And so is Mark, my son. Do you think that I shed a few tears when I read that this week? Now he's talking about Mark, who wrote the gospel of Mark, John Mark. And he refers to him as his son, even though it's not his son physically, it's his son in the faith spiritually. And we should all have people that are like sons in the faith and daughters in the faith. Amen? People whose lives we pour into. Greet one another with a kiss of love. See, Peter, Paul, we look, they're all hugging on folks. 
Amen? It's a biblical thing. By the way, I love nothing about Paul. It says he taught them waving it using his hands. So when you see this, it's a God thing. It's okay, amen? And he says, peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Notice it's peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Because without the Prince of Peace, we cannot have peace. Amen? And the peace comes from relationship with the Lord. Thank you, thank you for standing by one a few minutes over, but let's re- review again. Remaining faithful to God's calling in times of suffering. Number one, pastor's priority should be to feed the sheep, to love the Lord, to love the people, to have a heart of a humble servant, calling those who are younger in the faith to submit to those in authority, to be clothed in humility, to be watchful of the enemy, for the enemy, and then prayer for strength to respond to God's calling. God's grace is sufficient. No suffering is wasted. It is for but a little while. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. Thank you for everyone who's here today. Again, I pray that they would feel welcomed and loved. I pray we would take what your word of God has ministered to our hearts and we would apply it. That we would leave here different than the way that we came. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. So not a confession just that he's our Savior, but he's our Lord. It's coming to the place of recognizing I need him. I am a sinner. I need to be forgiven. And I I want to invite him to rule and reign in my life, to submit my life fully to him. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men... I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. I'm not asking you to join a church. We don't even have church membership. But if you're here today and the Holy Spirit has convicted you, maybe you've been going to churches for a long time. Maybe you've been coming here for quite a while. If you've never made a public proclamation of your, of your desire to surrender your life to the Lord, to repent. Repent means I was headed in this direction. It means to change your mind, to change of heart. I was headed this direction. I'm turning around and I'm going to surrender my life to the Lord. If you're here this morning and you want to surrender your life to the Lord, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now, but just by raising your hand wherever you are and I'll pray with you. Anybody at all, don't leave here without him. Let today be the day of salvation. He loves you so much. He'd rather die than live without you. Lord, we love you. We praise you. You are a great and an awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.